21. My my roommate, we had lived together for three years. Um, and in July, at the end of July, he moved to Atlanta and I moved to I moved here. Um, and about three weeks after us moving out, he died uh, from suicide. Um, and I felt a lot of guilt because I had dealt dealt or was dealing with depression, um, but I didn't know that he was. And because I never really talked about it, um, he and I never talked about it. And I felt like we could have been helping each other. What's up everybody and welcome to the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm so happy you came by. The Queerly Black Show aims to normalize the everyday existence of Black, LGBTQIA individuals through an interview-style series with regular folks like you and me. So every week, a new guest shares their story and unique perspective on their existence as an LGBTQIA individual. Thank you for tuning in, and make sure you subscribe, download, set your reminders to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. I'm here with a very, very, very special guest from D.C. Jared, tell the people about yourself. Hey, guys. Um, So I'm Jared Keller. Uh, I am a mental health advocate. I always say that, like, I'm a general, like, hot mess, like, just trying to, like, figure things out day to day um, and how to, like, grow and develop my mental health and, like, hopefully start conversations with other people too to like normalize something that should be normalized anyway um i think that's it i think that's the the gist of i think the general hot mess just grabs it all (laughs) when you say i'm just a general hot mess that's that's all encompassing that i think everybody can relate to that for sure um awesome so uh for everybody i go all the way back to the beginning you know when was your first encounter with your sexuality Oh, God, we jumped straight in. Uh, oh, yeah. We don't waste no time. We want to get to the people. <laughs> when was my first encounter? You know, I. this is going to touch on a lot of different things. I had a crush on this white boy when I was in middle school. And I remember thinking, like, hmm, uh, what's what's going on? Like, what is, what is this? Like, I had ideas that. I was different or that like I was gay when I was younger, but when it got to middle school, you know, when your hormones start flaring and I was looking at the other boys in gym class, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I feel like this is a, a thing thing. This yeah. isn't just something like passing. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that was my first time. But what was interesting, especially as I look back on it now, is like how much um, society conditions us to um, think that white is like the standard. Because like when I was younger, I only had crushes on white boys. It wasn't until I got into high school when I went to all black high school that I was like, damn, these black men, like these black dudes are like so handsome. But when I was younger, um, because all I saw in the media, especially like for gay people at that time, it was only yeah. like, so that was what I, I think thought I was supposed to like. So that's what I did like. Um, but yeah, it was like around middle school. So what, I think like maybe, how old are you in middle school? Like 12? Uh, yeah, 11. It was that sixth grade? So yeah, about 10, look, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, it was around mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I I think for me, I can my earliest like recollections of like gay people on TV was like the L word. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh Noah's Ark and maybe like the occasional segment on a show where somebody like came out or like there was this like you know cousin or some you know they they right. weave they tried to weave it in but it never got weaved it was just right. an episode that like 
oh, this is the one where the person is gay. And, you know, so I think the L word was definitely like for me, the first time I saw like just queerness, just in every way, but they were white to your point until Tasha (laughs) in like season, what, four or five. Um, But they were all white. Um, And I think as far as black, it was like Noah's Ark. Yeah, like the that was the that was the first time I saw it too. Was seeing it on Noah's Ark, um, and I don't even think I realized how impactful at that time it was until I got a little bit older. Because like honestly, I don't think I've seen anything like Noah's Ark since mm-hmm. Noah's Ark. I mean, maybe Pose, but like that's still a little different in yeah. a way. Um, so yeah, it's no, not it's, a, it's not a ton of representation out there, even still now, which is crazy. Yeah, no, not in that way. I think there's a lot of um like independent uh creators that create things yes. that, that touch on it but in terms of mainstream i think mainstream, a lot yeah. of what we see on tv now is like trying to interweave it into normal life so like the shy of course lena waith is a, a queer creator so like the, you know a show like that where there's other it's against other people though too like there's straight characters there's all these different um things kind of going on so it, it is a, a little bit different just kind of the way the tv kind of displays it now um you know but i but over the years you definitely see a lot more of the the representation so the school that you went to was it a diverse school or was it all white um like the middle school i went to yeah the middle school you went it to. was primarily white yeah it okay. was primarily white um, and then your high school was black my high school was all black i kind of made the decision to go to an all black high school because of my middle school being primarily white. I wanted to experience like the other side of it. And I'm grateful that I did. I feel like going to Peabody like kind of saved my life in in some ways. Like yeah. seriously. Yeah. And for for reference, you're from Louisiana originally, but you live in DC yeah. now. Okay. Cause yeah. you said, you know, Peabody, people are like, oh DC. I just want people to know that you're from Louisiana oh, yeah, so that yeah. they have the reference yeah. for, for, for oh, the school. So just for point of reference, yeah. I'm from Louisiana, but I lived in New York City for the last eight years and now I live in dc so i probably would jump around with references so just put that out there i've lived in some different places yeah no we got it so um that's awesome so then you're um when did you come out or let people in was it and did you start with friends or did you start with family uh i didn't necessarily come out um there was this boy i had a crush on i want to say i was like a sophomore in high school and I wrote a note to him and I left it in my backpack for some reason. Now my parents, they ain't stupid. They kind of knew, you know, mm-hmm. he had, got a little sugar in his tank. So they went looking through my stuff and they found this note to this boy. Yeah. And that was kind of how, I guess I came out in a sense and it just kind of all spiraled from there. Like I had maybe at the time, like one friend that I had told he was also gay, but I had only really out of my mouth said it to one person and then my parents found the note and it just oh lord that's when all hell broke loose I guess we'll probably get into that in a minute but uh, yeah, yeah so I, I, we could we could go we just transition right into it while we talking about it um what was that how was that for you uh when when they found the note in your bag it was tough I think you're in this weird space of like obviously knowing you have these feelings but not really knowing what to do with them. Like I live down South, I'm black and um, my parents are super churchy. So it was a lot of things being like, no, this is bad. Like, don't do this. Um, So 
when you're already in this space of trying to figure out who you are as a person, but then you have people actively saying like, you're a sin, it's bad. All these things are wrong with you. Like that can fuck you up in the head. Mm-hmm. Like truly, like as I started to get more into mental health and I started to look back on some of the things that happened to me, it's like, that's why you're so, you know, dealing with the things you're dealing with because of the shit that you went through when you were younger, simply for being who you are, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, to be honest, it was, it was hell. Um, I look back at that time and I now know what I was going through was depression. But at that time, I didn't even know that's what it was because we didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I just thought I was sad. Um, and I, in my head, I was like, oh, well, you know, everyone kind of goes through these phases where they're sad and they lose motivation. But because we didn't talk about it, I couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was going on. I just thought it was a phase. Um, but then as I got older, it was like, no, nah, you were dealing with depression because of everything that was happening in your life. Um, it's to me, I say a lot of times it's, it's so interesting to me that I didn't attempt suicide just because how bad things had gotten between like me and my family and my parents, like me and my dad used to like physically fight. Mm -hmm. Like it got really bad. Um, and like, it's better now, but for a period, it was, it was really bad. Yeah. Um, did they kick you out or anything like that? Were you a kid? Were you a teenager at the time? Or you were you were yeah. in middle school, right? High school. No, I, at this time I was in high school. I was like maybe fifteen or sixteen. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm a big guy now. But at that time I was very scrawny. So when you have your dad, who's like a full grown man, kind of like yeah. lunging at you, it's a very weird scenario. Like, cause you like put your fist up to fight him but at the same time it's your dad so Mm -hmm. it's like what the fuck is going Mm -hmm. on but it was like it was just the scenario I was in but yeah I did I got uh I think twice in high school I left home well once I left once I was pushed out um and I kind of just couch surfed from place to place and I'm from a small town in Louisiana so we didn't have resources like centers or places where like homeless LGBT youth could go so I just couch surfed and eventually had to end up going back to that scenario because I, I didn't have anywhere else to go. And I was 16, so I didn't have a car, I didn't have any money. Um, I kind of had to go back. Yeah. And um, moving forward, so what was the, what was, and it's probably, you know, like you said, you said it's getting better, but what was the journey back to your parents for you? Because I've talked to, and I, and I, I think everyone deals with some level of it, but I think men, black men, especially kind of deal with this the hardest when it comes to like parents and like acceptance. Um, What was the journey back for you? I've talked to people who've been on both sides in terms of like, okay, I'm not ready to just throw my parents away because they don't accept this part of me. Right. Like that's a very hard pill to swallow and people. It's hard for people to understand, like you either love me the way I am or you get nothing at all, but it's hard to reconcile. Like if my parents just deny this one part of me, I can still find a way to move forward because they're my parents. Right. So where did you fall out on it? Was it a complete, like you don't accept me I'm done. Or was it a, these are my parents. And even in this, like, I still love them. You know what I mean? To be honest, like, it was it was a very weird space to be in because I honestly, I felt both. Like, I love them, my friends, especially my mom. I'm very close to my mom. So I did have that idea. I was like, I can't just throw them away because I don't 
because we're at odds, like they're my parents, like your parents kind of always feel like home no matter where they are. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to be who I was. And so, so a bit of me had like a, I don't give a fuck mentality, but also y'all are my parents as well. So I love y'all. And I think that caused tension as well because like we're family. So you yeah. are almost like supposed to love each other, but it's also, it's conflicting because I was like, I want to be who I am and you should accept that. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be something that you want me to be just to appease you. So it left us at odds for a while, but I remember when I graduated high school, I mean, when I graduated college, um, well, actually when I graduated high school, I, in college, I very rarely came back home. And then after I graduated college, I was like deuces, I moved to New York City. I didn't actually go back to Louisiana for like the first three years when I moved to New York City because I needed to put some like distance between Boundaries, us. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm grateful that I did too because that's kind of what helped me to not fully resent them was to get away from mm -hmm. them. Um, and it's better now, but it's because like I said, I decided to stop giving a fuck. And then especially when I started doing like the whole mental health thing, I really was like, take it or leave it. Like, this is what it is. You guys take it or leave it. Um, but I also got very open and candid with them about conversations. Like I thought I was over a lot of the things that happened to me when I was a kid. And I saw it was like around 30, 31, my life kind of blew up. Um, and I had to like address a lot of different things that happened to me. And I was like, I'm still angry about what y'all did to me when I was 15. And I can't keep pretending like I'm not mad about it anymore. Um, and so I just started saying how I felt. And to be honest, I, tr I was respectful, but it was also like, I'm going to tell you how I feel, that I'm mad, that I'm angry, and you kind of just need to take it. And I think when they saw like, okay, he's not backing down from this, then they started to try to like build a bridge to me a little bit more. And like, now I talk openly about being gay in front of my mom. My dad is still coming around to it, but even me just saying I'm a gay man in front of him, years ago would have caused like a whole thing now it's just kind of like okay and that's like you know at this <laughs> processing point life, I'll take loading right exactly right. exactly yeah man and I I, I want to you know talk about like mental health but this I want to stay on this because I think it's so loaded like parents are such an influential part of this process for a lot of people like there are so many people who I'm not like, I'm not coming out because my parents, I'm not, you know, or my parents don't accept me. So forget them. And, and then it causes this like life of just complete resentment, but it, it doesn't stop at the parents. Like it trickles itself into so many other places. Like yeah. it affects your relationships. It affects Ooh. how you interact with people. It affects everything. And I, and, and it's hard for people to, to recognize that like that when you, once you hang your hat on that with your parents, like that's the start of everything. You you yeah. learn everything from your parents. Once you hang your hat there, it's gonna translate itself into yeah. every other part of your life, you know? So um, I wanna just talk about like that middle of the road, right? Because what you just said, which is like, I'm, I think you and I are similar in that I'm not looking for, I didn't have an extremely difficult time with my parents at all either. My mom was very much like, okay processing you know she has her her passive aggressive comments that she'll make like you know there's some you and guy gotta work out that's an aggressive <laughs> you know what I mean? like you're basically saying what are you like so she has her way but it doesn't offend me right because that's her comfortability right mm -hmm. it's not 
I'm not looking for her to uh, have this 100% like, you know, go jolly thing. How is that? Is that okay for you? Like you say, you I'll take that. So like, I'm good. But how do you get to a place where like, work your way back from I don't give a fuck to I'll take that? I mean, to, conversations like just talking like that's really how it happened with with both my parents is and then also getting older I think they started viewing me less as like their kid and more of like okay he is an adult now we've got to let up on some of this um but just having like real open honest conversations with my parents because I said a lot of times well I, for me a lot of time um the conversations weren't happening because I wasn't starting them. I know they're not going to start them. So obviously I need to do that, but I wasn't doing that either. Cause I was like, well, I don't want to make them feel weird or make them feel whatever, but it's like, well, you are a person too. And you have a life too. And you are also entitled to your feelings. So if you feel uncomfortable, that's also valid. So you should voice that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's not easy. Like this was something that took legit years, like pretty much all through my twenties, me and my father, I, we didn't talk like, if I did call him, it was because I was looking for mama. Um, mm-hmm. But it it took a while. It can be done, but it's, if your parents are like mine, like super churchy, old school black, like it's going to take, it's going to take a while. But I am willing to accept where, meet them where they are because they're trying. Like they're I trying, acknowledge right. that. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge that. Like some people were like, well, they, you know, aren't doing cartwheels. And I'm like, listen, if you knew where this stemmed from, <laughs> you would be fine with the fact that my dad isn't having a heart attack because I said I'm a gay man in front of him. Like, I've talked about other guys. I actually, I made a, <laughs> a sex joke in front of my mom for the first time ever in life. Uh-oh. We were both a little tipsy. Um, but she didn't, like, have a heart attack. She was like, oh, Jared. And she's like, hit me on the arm. <laughs> but I'm like, yo, that's progress. That's progress. There was a yeah. time where that was not, like, my mom would have mm-hmm. threw a Bible at me if I said that in front of her. <laughs> but, like, it's she's evolving. I think you do have to meet people where they are, but always maybe, like, inch by inch, try to push them a little bit, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, like, one conversation at a time. Like, I imagine, I mean, even with us, it's a lot of, my wife's family is a lot like your family. It, like, it was just, it's been a journey. And to your point, mm-hmm. every conversation, it's like, it's conversation at a time, like one conversation at a time. And honestly, the way that it's, it's, it's much better miles, miles better now, but the way that it would go, it'd be like one subject and then they wouldn't talk for a week or two weeks because you just need like her mom needs a lot of space and time to process. Right. And she knows that about her mom. So she's like, look, I'm gonna broach this topic with her. We gonna need our cooling off period. And then we gonna come back that And then you don't talk about it again for six months. And then you, one more conversation, we ain't going to talk. We're going to come back. And, you know, but it's like that, you know, in this, I feel like I, I'm staying on this because I, it's, it's what people need to hear. Like mm-hmm. the truth is, this is just the process. It's long. Yeah. It's not just, it doesn't turn over in a day. Sometimes it <laughs> takes time. And, you know, we do carry the burden of pushing it forward a lot of times and the people have a hard time with that it's like why I gotta be the one why I gotta say everything why I gotta do because we're the ones that want the acceptance you know we're the ones that want the bridge we're the ones who want this to move forward and be better so we have to 
we just gotta, you know, keep working through it. So I appreciate you for, for being so candid about that. Cause I think that's going to help a lot of people navigate that relationship, you know, and not throw their parents away. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so mental health, you are a very much a mental health advocate. Your page is so inspiring. It's so amazing. Um, how did you get into that? Um, so again, this is kind of part of me being separate from my family. But when I moved to New York City, uh, I think I saw that the world was bigger than Alexandria, Louisiana. Um, there were all these different aspects and layers and cultures and things. And that's when I started looking more into mental health, just because I started having other friends that were going to therapists and I started hearing more about it. Um, to where back when I was in Louisiana, it wasn't really a thing to me. Um, but I started taking, um, I started going to a therapist first, and then I realized like I was kind of suffering with mild depression. So I started taking medication for it. Um, now I've always been pretty open in conversation with other people. Like if someone brought up depression and was saying something fucking stupid, then I would jump in or I would say, like, you know, I take medication for it and I'm, you know, I'm just fine. And it's actually helping me out quite a bit. Cause that's a lot of like misinformation that people put out about um mental health from people that have never gone through depression or anything, just saying a bunch of stupid shit. Um, but I started looking more into it. But what really got me to do it for social media was um, last August, August of 2021, my my roommate, we had lived together for three years. Um, and in July, at the end of July, he moved to Atlanta and I moved to, I moved here. Um, and about three weeks after us moving out, he died uh, from suicide. Mm. Um, and I felt a lot of guilt because I had dealt dealt or was dealing with depression, um, but I didn't know that he was. And because I never really talked about it, um, he and I never talked about it. And mm -hmm. I felt like we could have been helping each other, but because of, I guess, like maybe the shame or just not wanting to be as open about it, um, we never had a conversation. And I felt like maybe we could have been helping each other. Uh, so, after that happened, I decided that I wanted to start doing it on a larger level, like talking, not just talking about it to one person at a time, but like talking about it to a lot of people and hope to like, like I said, normalize uh, the conversation. Um, and that's what got me going. Cause I said, I don't want to be in another scenario where you try to talk to someone or offer someone like help or sort of lean on once they're dead, because now he's yeah. gone. So you can't really do anything about it. Like you should have been doing that shit while he was, oops, you should have been doing that while he was alive. Um, and so like that, I'm trying to live in that space now. So that's why I'm so vocal about it on, on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. And it normalizes it. Right. And in terms of there are other people who are going through this, like you don't have to feel like you have to battle this like by yourself. Um, yeah. Like I've had so many people since, like I've had relatives and people I've known for years now reach out to me. Like I do anxiety too. I do depression. And like it's actually kind of crazy the amount of people that I've had telling me that they deal with it too. But I was like, this is what I wanted. I wanted us to start being uh, more open and having conversations about this. It doesn't need to be so weird and taboo. Mm -hmm. It's only weird and taboo because we make it that way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because nobody's talking about no it. No one's and talking about like, it. I, I got to put on this face that I'm okay. I got to put on this face that like everything's fine. And the truth is, sometimes you're not. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. sometimes you're absolutely not. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Um, when did you get diagnosed with depression through going to therapy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. Go ahead. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I had kind of, I had a pretty strong feeling that's what it was. And then just when I started going to see the therapist, he was like, yeah, I think you might be suffering with mild depression and he's the one that uh, put me on medication. Yeah. What were those signs that you knew uh, that you were, that you might have depression? Because I think sometimes people don't really even know what it is. Like they don't, they they have all the symptoms, but they don't know what the diagnosis is to even think that, oh, I need to go to therapy or, oh, I need to go and fix this. Like, what were some of the things you were experiencing that kind of gave you an inkling that you might be depressed? Um, I know one of the ways I've always coped with it is I would sleep a lot. Like, I would sleep almost the whole day. Um, that was probably one of the biggest things, but, like, also the inability to focus um, on anything. Like, I would just be very distracted. Um and like the anxiety would sneak in too. So I would get like really bad panic attacks. Um, but these like weird phases where these like waves of sadness would hit me and I couldn't really explain what this was coming from. Like looking back, obviously I was triggered by something, but I didn't know what it was at the time because I don't think I had delved enough into mental health. But like I would get these strange waves of sadness where I just didn't want to do anything or go anywhere. Yeah. And it would last for what you probably would think is an, an abnormal length of time, like yes. too long. Like it wasn't just like an afternoon or yeah. you know, I'll wake up tomorrow and be better. It was like, yeah. it would be like of, time. of this happening. And so that's when I kind of started. I actually had another friend that was struggling with what well, he was taking medication for it at the time. And I started talking to him and he was the one first that said, it, it sounds like you might be struggling with depression, but like talk to somebody first, but it sounds like that might be what's going on with you. Yeah. And how does that, how's that with you uh, current day? Like in terms of, um, I, you're pretty transparent about, you know, where you are and everything you talked uh, about, like your weight and like how you kind of cope with like different things. Um, how do you manage today? And like, what, what is your process for kind of pressing forward with, um, you know, depression and your mental health journey and all of those kinds of things? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. Like, that's the one thing I, I never want to be one of those people that comes on social media and like just offers you quotes and like, oh, you say this quote and then your life's going to be fucking amazing. Like, that's not how it works. Like, there will be days where you will feel like shit and I can tell you all the quotes and that's not going to help you at all. You're still going to feel that way. Um, and that's just the reality of it. And I think you need to accept that too, that every day is not going to be a, a good day because mm -hmm. that's like the first step towards like trying to get better. Um, I know at times I do fall off the wagon and like you had mentioned my weight, there are periods where I look to food to kind of like comfort me. And so like I was eating at one point, this wasn't that long ago, I was eating everything in sight. Like I would be eating whole pans of brownies and I was almost 240 pounds. Now I'm a short guy, like I'm 5'8". Mm -hmm. So like 240 pounds of me is like, ooh, Jared, what's going on? <laughs> um, but I was using food to like trying to kind of help me cope. But I had, I made this decision, like I wanted to start responding to um, my depression better and implement healthy coping mechanisms, not just eating everything. So like I started doing things I don't normally do. I actually posted a video about this the other day that I went uh, downtown and I saw the cherry blossoms or I will force myself to go hang out with people um, or just take a walk in the sun. Like it sounds, when I say things like force, it sounds bad, but it's like, Every time I've done it, I always feel so much better after. Um, yeah. And my therapist will constantly say, like, you have to find healthy coping mechanisms because I've had the bad ones. Um, you know, I used to be 
on drugs, like re, re, like that was what I was using to cope with it. Um, and so now like, I'll go biking or I'll work out or I'll go hang out with friends or I'll just stand out in the sun. Like all of that helps, it, but it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people do look for it to be like a quick fix. And it's like, that's, this is going to be an ongoing thing for you probably for the rest of your life in the same way that growth and developing and evolution is like, it's something you're constantly working towards. It's not just like, Oh, I said this one thing and now I'm fine. Like it's a consistent thing, but I'm trying. Yeah. And um, I post these videos where I'm like, you gotta be proud of the small wins. And I do like, I, I've started cooking. Like I find a new recipe every day to cook. Um, and I, I don't like to cook. That is not my thing. Mm-mm, but I find a yeah, it's it's not my thing. But it's it, it's fun. Like it's helping me cope a little bit. You have to find something that works for you. Um, but finding that and accepting that you're gonna have some bad days, I think are the like some of the first steps towards truly getting better and managing this better. Yeah. No, I think one thing you said that's critical is that you're gonna manage it for the rest of your life. You know, like you wake up and you brush your teeth, you gotta check in with your 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 mental, you gotta check in with, you know, right. it's like a part of your daily routine. Um, you know, I um I go to therapy just, you know, for my growth, my own growth and, you know, uh being being the oldest and letting go of a lot of just, you know, un uh stuff that I put on myself in terms of being the oldest responsibility and all that, and then yeah. uncovered a whole bunch of other stuff too. Yeah. Um, but one thing I learned about going to therapy, my therapist was extremely candid about this. He was like, listen, <laughs> therapy is not a, a, a it, it, he offered this the first session, therapy is not going to fix it, but we're going to give you tools to work through it every single right. day. Right. So it's about getting the tools in your box to fix, to, to manage every day. Right. Like, you will get breakthroughs 100%, but it's not going to be everything. Like you're not going to be able to change people who hurt you. Like you're not going to be able to, you know, if your mom, you know, said something offensive to you when you were 10, like you're not going to be able to change your mom. You're not going to be able to erase that it happened. You're not going to be able to do that, but you will be able to understand like how to move forward. Like get a, you know, coping mechanisms to move forward. And, you know, to your point, you know, about when you feel those feelings, you feel sad, you feel all those things, um, you know, finding healthy ways to deal with it because everyone, you, you're going to deal with it one way or the other, whether it's good or bad, you know, like you said, right. so, um, how's, how have you seen a difference in yourself from using the, you know, bad coping mechanisms to using the good ones? Do you feel like the turnover has been better for you in terms of like being able to move forward day to day by adopting the healthy coping mechanisms? Um, it's helped me in the ways that I know I'm doing something I don't normally do. So there's a sense of pride and almost like happiness that comes from being like, oh, I just cooked this recipe. I don't even like to cook. This isn't something I normally did, but you did it. And it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. Um, I think doing things outside of the realm of what you normally do, uh, at least for me, has helped me quite a bit. Um, I'm handling it much better. I was actually saying this to myself the other day that, I'm really proud of how I've responded to a lot of things because I had something with my, a family member happen the other day that was just really terrible. And like my initial instinct was like, oh, I just want to go to bed and like 
shut out the world because I think it was a, it was a Friday, but I was like, I just want to go to bed for the rest of the day. And I was like, nope, we're not doing that. You are like, you know better, so do better. You know, sleeping all day isn't going to do shit for you, but make you feel worse. So get up and get out the house. Like, go do something. Like, respond to this in a different way than what you than what you're used to, because that's growth. Like, that's showing yourself that you're growing and that you're not. Um, reverting back to old habits, because honestly, reverting back to some not so great habits could end up to you end up you reverting back to some terrible ones. So like, try to like motivate yourself and like go do something. Um, but I think I'm I'm I am very proud of myself and how I've been responding to it because it is not it's not easy at all. No, for sure. No, and I you know I personally I just want to say thank you for for your platform and thank you for the work that you do. It's it's amazing and it's extremely vulnerable. Um, you know, when you share that much about yourself and this kind of thing, it's extremely vulnerable, right? And um, you know, my the question I want to ask you is how you balance being so vulnerable and being a black man because that's <laughs> and you're from the south, which you know, is a whole, a whole nother thing. Like, how do you balance all of that? It's, I feel like I'm doing a bad job because it keeps saying everything is not easy, but like none of it is. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first started putting, putting these videos on Instagram, I would share it and I would literally put my phone away because I would, my mind went straight to like, everyone is going to talk really poorly about you. Like you're giving people ammunition to say this and this and that about you. Um, and I'm hot-headed. So some of people, <laughs> they say it over Instagram. I've seen like, that neck to his own. You said you wouldn't have said that to me. Right. If you said it in person, you would be eating this phone. But um, <laughs> I'm even that like, I'm trying to grow from it. Um, I'm trying to be open. It's cathartic. But also that it is so freeing, though, to like own your shit. Like, can't nobody put my business out there because I've already put it out there. Like, mm -hmm. I'm open with what I'm going through um, in my life. So even if someone says something crazy or shitty to me, it's like, sis, I've already said that on Instagram to 7,000 people. Like, you <laughs> saying to me doesn't mean anything right now anymore. It's like owning your story is like, it's super empowering. Um, but it's, it's still scary because mm -hmm. I'm super transparent on Instagram. And I talk about a lot of stuff, but I will say that the trade-off is, even if people do say um, something crazy to me, for every one person that does that, I have like five people come to me and be like, damn, I've, I've struggled with the same thing. Like, I'm so glad you're talking about it. Or I've had people email me saying like, I considered suicide like this time last year, but I didn't do it. Um, and I'm so proud of you and then uh, for sharing your story. And then they go share theirs too. Mm -hmm. Because some of the people that I've met, they didn't want to talk about it, but they were like, oh, I saw you. So now I'm going to talk about it too. And to me, that's like paying it forward. Yep. If everyone kind of did that, shared a little bit of their story. And I'm not saying you got to come on Instagram and tell everybody all of your business. I know mine is sometimes a little extreme, but like <laughs> sharing a portion of your story can help somebody. Like you never know who will see that post and be like, oh, damn, like if this person who is seemingly normal or has it together and they're dealing with depression too, then it's not so crazy that I'm dealing with it mm -hmm. as well. I'm not the only person out there. Because what's crazy to me, I was thinking about this the other day. So many people deal with the same shit, but we all act like we're fine. If we were just open with each other, we'd all see like, oh, you you too? Me too? Mm -hmm. we, we're all going through yep. the same thing. We yep. just got to take mask off and stop acting like we're perfect all the time. Nobody's perfect but Beyonce. 
Exactly. <laughs> yes, she is. The queen is only the only one that's perfect. Um, but you know, we come from those uh those 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 great black sayings, you know, what happens in this house stays in this house. What I know, what's going, you know, it's it's, it's a, a lot of undoing. A, a whole lot, lot of, of undoing. Trying to reposition your mind because like my dad's like that too, old school. Black father, cold, not very warm. Mm -hmm. Don't say I love like stuff like mm -hmm. that. And it's like, I don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. well, you know better, you do better. I don't want to be like that. I want to mm -hmm. be more open. And and I, I mean, I've seen it in him and me being more open about it. It's made him talk about his feelings, which is still very strange now when he does it, but I'm glad he's doing it. Yeah, yeah. And what you like, <laughs> the, 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 the craziest thing to me is that once you start uncovering this stuff, you learn that, the people who give you the hardest time, they are actually not the ones who have a hard time with it. They are afraid of what other people are going to say about yeah. it because that's of what true. it makes them look like. That's true. Like yeah. the first thing is always like, well, what is such and such? What what are, or how are you going to tell this person? How you go? You're like, I'm talking right. to you though. Right. Exactly. We're not even talking to them. And so I think that's one of the craziest things that you uncover is like, you didn't even, you actually didn't even care. Yeah. You just were so worried about what this person was going to think that you couldn't even have an honest conversation with me about it. Right. That's like the wildest. That's the wildest discovery to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it is crazy. Like we just <laughs> we care like way too much about what people think, because honestly, it was like if no one else, I guess, knew about this, you wouldn't give a fuck about you me. Wouldn't being, care. I wouldn't care. If I told you, look. I'm only telling you this. No one ever, no one's ever going to know this. You wouldn't nine times out of 10, they, I, a lot of them wouldn't even care right? because it's something everybody's going to have to know. They're like, Oh crap. Wait, hold up. <laughs> let's, right. let's rewind. Hold on. Nope. I don't agree with this. Hold on. So it, <laughs> it's wild. Um, but also something lighter. You have lived in two major cities, uh, New York and DC, um, of both places, which place has been your favorite in terms of, uh, the queer scene and favorite restaurant in both places. Oh, okay. So New York City is my first love. Um, I honestly will probably move back at some point. Uh, I love New York City. Um, you know, it's interesting, even in these major cities, there are not a lot of black gay clubs. Like in before I left New York City, I only knew of two, there was two in Harlem. But that was like within the last like maybe few years. Everything is in Hell's Kitchen and it's more white. Um, so, I mean, it's similar here in DC. So navigating those scenes are weird. But I would say New York City is probably the best just because they're so open and free. Like no one cares about what you're doing. Like you could, I don't know, be laid out on the sidewalk and they'll just like step over you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds dramatic, but I mean, that's also kind of true. Um, yeah. like, no one cares, so you can be as open as you want to be. But I will say, if you're trying to find a husband, D.C. is better for that. Right. Because in New York, everybody just wants to run the street and chase and tail. But here in D.C., it's like all these men with master's degrees and driving Mercedes Benz <laughs> and, like, they looking to get married. I remember low-key when I first moved here, I was like, it's low-key, like, the Stepford Wives. Like, everybody lives with their boyfriend and they have a dog, and I'm like, I wasn't used to that coming from New York because in New York, no one was in a relationship. Everybody mm -hmm. was. Um, shit, you asked my favorite restaurant. Uh, truthfully, I I haven't been out enough in D.C. to to know. Um, but I will say in in Harlem, my favorite brunch spot was um, 
I liked Row House and I liked Lido. They were like these cute, like really like breezy, airy brunch places. Um, those are my two favorite. Like, I'll get back to you about the one in DC. I gotta try a few different places. I'll get back. To I'm gonna message you about DC. I'm be like, which you, which one you liked in DC? <laughs> <laughs> DC's changed so much since I was there in college, man. It's like crazy. It's I've heard because I live on I live on Eighth Street, and I've heard this whole se section used to be completely different because I'm not that far from Trinidad. Um, but I've heard where I used to live is used to be completely different. Yeah, it's much different in DC now. Um. Awesome, man. This was great. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, so we come to the end and there's one thing I ask every guest, which is what's one piece of advice that you would have for someone who's going through their own journey? Be, be honest with yourself. Like that's a very tough thing. I mean, we talked a little bit about um, unpacking some things that I know your mom might've said to you when you were 10 years old. Um, I know for me, when I was younger, I had to frame things. I had to frame hurtful things in my head differently than what they were, because that was the only way I could kind of keep a relationship with my parents. Um, but at some point I did have to be honest with myself about the things that happened, even though it hurt and to bring them back up again hurt and to talk to my parents hurt, I'm sure hurt them too, but you have to be honest with yourself about things or you're never gonna heal or grow 100%. from it. 100%. Um, actually, I got one more question. If you had a theme song for your life, what would it be? Oh, my God, this is this is bad because I've thought about this before. <laughs> um, did you ever Kiki Palmer used to have this show on Nickelodeon called True Jackson? BP. Yeah. So I that is the theme song for my life. But, you know, the part where she especially goes T-R-U-E-J. I'd be like J-A-R-R-E. I would just put my name in um, for her part. But that was like the theme song for it. my life because it's bubbly and like up. Um, and that's kind of how I am. I love it. <laughs> so embarrassing. I love it. <laughs> no, it's, I love it. I had uh, I talked to somebody else who said their their theme song was um, the song from That's So Raven. That's, that's a good one too. Yeah. Wait, what's yours? Huh? What's I, yours? I, don't, I don't know. It'd be a Beyonce song though, for sure. Um, okay. <laughs> probably, okay. I don't know every every song of hers. Probably, <laughs> I, I I'm like she's like my spirit animal. Like her birthday oh. September fourth, my September fifth. I'm oh, I'm really? the beehive. I'm it. Like oh, I've been listen, to six gotta... concerts. I done seen every kind. Like I'm, really? Oh yeah, yeah. Wait, which ones oh, did yeah. you? I'm I'm such a bad Beyonce fan. I've only been to I think three. You I've saw like to, early concerts. I seen. I've been to um. Miss Carter show, been to uh on the run both. Um oh, no. I've been to and I think we saw on the run did we see it twice? Made in America. I seen her at Made in America. Oh. Um what was the other one? There was another one that she had by herself. I don't remember the name of that one, but it was like the one with all the Terry Mugler costumes, like oh. the one she had the DVD and like the whole oh, the I am yeah, I am that there you go. I was like, what was the name of that one? I think that was the I Am Sasha Fierce tour. Yeah. But yeah, so. oh yeah, I've been rocking with Beyonce forever. Love her. I know, I love her too. <laughs> She's perfect. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jared, for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Um, I think, you know, you're definitely gonna help a lot of people. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, it's amazing work. Um, and, and yeah, we, I will keep, I will continue to watch and support you. Uh, it, it's, it's awesome. So thank you. Tell the people where they can find you. 
Um, well, thank you for having me. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Jared. That's Jared with two R's. So Jared, J-A-R-E-D dot Denzel, like Denzel Washington, um, on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Awesome. Y'all go follow Jared. This is another episode of Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. I'll catch y'all on the next one.